The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 318 premium for March 3rd, 2011, which is three, three, one, one, go! <laughs> the show i am dave hamilton here in durham new hampshire and i am john efron here in fairfield connecticut and you are our faithful supportive premium listeners and we very much appreciate that so thanks for uh thanks for subscribing thanks for supporting us and thanks for uh sending in all your questions and your comments and all that good stuff because uh without it we uh we wouldn't be doing this in the way that we're doing it so thank you very much (laughs) It's true. We'd be, doing, we'd be doing something, but I'm sure we would. Right. Yeah. That's right. We love this. As, we'd, be, as, we'd be talking to, to ourselves. That's right. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, we kind of enjoyed that. That's where this started as, as, as you all likely know, but uh, yeah. So um, it, do we need to talk about the iPad, uh, iPad two at all, John? Are you going to, are you going to order one? So the iPad two came out yesterday. Um, nope. For those of you that don't know, um, and, uh, well, it, it was announced yesterday. It has not come out yet, but, um, kind of in a rundown, it's uh, same size, right? Uh, basically slightly thinner case, uh, somewhat lighter, uh, maybe 10% lighter and, uh, same, same screen, same pixel resolution, new dual core processor, double the Ram, uh, which Apple never really talks about, but that's okay. Two cameras, uh, slightly redesigned speaker, uh, Verizon 3G and AT&T 3G version, as well as a Wi-Fi version. And uh, now HDMI out via an accessory, which reportedly will also work with the iPhone 4. And the pricing remains the same. So what do you think, John? I have, you know, of course I read the, you know, coverage on Mac Observer. Of course. All the other sites and my Twitter stream was polluted (laughs) (laughs) yes um and then there's a good chart on mac observer that compares the ipad one and ipad two and motorola most people have probably read it already because based on traffic it seems like everybody in the world did which was a nice little thing but uh oh nice well Well, what's the uh did you mention this what's the fancy uh stand that they have now the case you talking about yeah yeah uh yeah with with the little magnets and and stuff it's got magnets in it i don't like magnets magnets scare me but yeah, well, they, they, um, they, it's a, it's a magnetic cover, I guess. Right? Smart covers. Smart case. Smart case. That's what they're I calling think it. Smart covers. Is that right? Smart cover. You're right. Yes. Well, I'm looking at apple.com and of course it's plastered on the front page. There, That's but, right. Uh, but that looks pretty, pretty darn clever. So it's not only, uh, you know, with some little magnets, as you pointed out, which probably is not a big deal for every you know, device. Uh, yeah. Well, I can feel them, John. I can feel magnets. They freak me out. All right. All right. And, uh, but it also acts as kind of a fancy little stand. So it's a, it's, it's such a simple, elegant piece of engineering. Uh, yeah. It's really nice. I, I worry it's not going to be enough. Um, you know, it, and, and, but it's totally Apple. This is one of those times where I really believe they, they don't see the, the forest from the trees. There are a lot of times when they push their own agenda for, for many reasons. Um, but it's all, you know, uh, they're all, they're aware of what they're doing. In terms of cases, I just don't think they get it. Um, you know, the iPhone certainly can be used without a case. 
right? Um, if, if you don't mind it getting scratched up and and that sort of thing, uh, and and maybe that bothers you, maybe it doesn't. But the iPad, uh, certainly the iPad One, I haven't had a chance to use the iPad Two at all yet, of course. But certainly with the iPad One, there was no way I could use that functionally without a case, and and not because the case protects it, but because I wanted to be able to, you know rested at different angles and have it held up. And, and yes, I realize Apple's case, this smart cover thing does that. It allows you to stand it up on uh, its end in a, in a portrait, uh, in a landscape mode uh, and also then flip over and, and be used as kind of a, you know, coffee table keyboard type thing also in portrait mode. But I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be substantial enough to really work as a case. I mean, it, it clearly is built from the standpoint of why would you want to obscure my beautiful device? Right. And, and, uh, and that's, that's the thing that Apple never, that's kind of the mentality that any case that Apple's put out, right. The, the stupid bumper for the, what the heck was that? I mean, for the iPhone, that's stupid. It, that's not a case. It's a piece of plastic that goes around the edge. I don't want that. If I want to protect it, I want to protect the glass. Dum dum, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, so I, I worry about these smart, smart covered silliness, but we'll see. All right. Um, I'm no, I'm, I'm, you know, again, Dave, I got to slow down. I mean, I just got I know. an iPhone. I know. I know. Um, and actually personally, what I use for that is uh, something that actually we got in a, a prior swag bag in it. And it actually, I'm, I'm pretty uh, happy with it uh, from Griffin. It's a Elan holster. Oh, you're one of those people. I only thought pilots and uh, with with a nod to Pilot Pete, and and uh, uh, general contractors use holsters for their cell phones. Well, the, the thing I like about it is that it doesn't require me to wrap the iPhone in something, right? Which right. you know, I mean, the thing, it, you know, just like the iPad, it's it's a beautiful looking, well, uh, you know, precision yeah. crafted piece of hardware, and. When I'm not using it now, you know, I don't use it. I mean, it has a belt clip, which I'm, I'm not quite ready to, you know, go into Batman mode and have it. Oh, okay. Belt, Cause that's, but, that's um, what, that's what always reminds me mm. of the, the former. Comic. No, but I just like it because it, it fully envelops the product, but when you need to use it, then I just pull it out of this holster and, uh, you know, I carry it in my pocket using this case, but it provides protection because I'm deathly afraid that if, and when I drop it, you know, it's going to go get some. Don't you, here's the thing. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have to take it out of this holster thing to, to, to use it. But my question is, you're not going to drop it while it's in your pocket. You're going to drop it while you're, while you have it in your hands and potentially even drop it while you're fumbling with it with one hand, while you've got the case in the other Perhaps. and you're extracting it. Right. So I, yeah, mm. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. Well, I don't like the cases that envelop it because then you can't use something like the uh, the glyph, which I think is very nice. But the right. glyph is precision crafted, and if if the iPhone is enveloped in anything, it doesn't work. Then that it doesn't work. That's so, right. That's right. So maybe maybe you're just a uh, maybe you need like a, a invisible shield or something akin to that for your phone to protect it, and then you're good to go. Perhaps, but yeah. um, it, it looks like a nice evolutionary. You know, I yeah. think they got cameras now. The, the cameras are cool. Camera. And the faster processor, I think, will make a big difference. Yeah. And and as far as, you know, who presented what, I think Steve basically presented because uh, the, I've noticed this, the uh, the stock, you know, there were all these, you know, rumors about, you know, Steve's health and stuff like that. And I think he was just saying, look, I'm still running things. Okay. Right. right. I haven't wa- yet watched 
the uh, the keynote. And, and this is something I didn't know. So I actually added it to my iTunes feed, but I didn't know that they have a channel for the Apple events, the podcast channel. That's right. Yes. Yes. I didn't know right. that. So I added that to my iTunes and yeah, uh, and yeah it showed up. Um, yeah, it showed up last night, yesterday afternoon, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't yet watched it, but I'm sure, you know, as, as all Apple events, it was well executed and everybody was happy. So I'm sure I'm sure. And the stock, uh, I think showed that, you know, I think there was a pretty positive reaction to yep. it. So, yep, all right. Sure. But we're the Mac geek app, not the iPad or the iPhone. See, I, and I, it, you yeah. know, it's interesting you say that. I was thinking about that in the uh, shower <laughs> last night and this is, a, this is not the first time we've talked about this, but you know, I don't see the iPad I mean, I see that as, as, you know, as much of a Mac as it is an, an iPhone, right? I mean, it, it's, I, I see it replacing Macs for a lot of people and therefore kind of falling into that realm of, yeah, sure. it's, it's a computer, you know? Yeah, sure. And well, as our listeners are going to find out there, there is actually an iPhone, uh, somewhat iPhone specific question coming up, which uh, now that I have one, I can answer in a somewhat informed manner. There you go. All right, cool. All right, so, uh, but first, we'll go to Terry. And Terry asks, uh, I've just added a 13-inch MacBook Air to carry to the office, so my MacBook Pro 15-inch can stay at home. It's a little heavy to carry back and forth to the office and on the road. My question is this. I've used my two-terabyte time capsule for a little over a year with nothing but my MacBook Pro 15-inch. How do I add my Air as a backup client to the time capsule? Uh, if this were a voice message, this would be where you cut me. So go ahead, John. Well, you know, now I don't do this, Dave. So, so we'll bounce it back and forth. Um, I do. Per, I personally do not do this. Really? And I was wondering about this. Okay. No, I um. So I have my two main machines. I have my MacBook Pro early 2008, which is going to last me forever. Of course. It will. <laughs> and my Mac mini. But but my strategy, Dave, is I have my time capsule I use it as a time machine only for the MacBook. Well, what do I use for the Mini, you ask? Well, what I use for the Mini is a case I got from OWC, which I put my old three and a half inch hard drive from the G5. I put it in this case. It's connected via, it's an EasyQuest case, I think. It's a really nice case, and it's connected via FireWire 800. And then I partition the drive into two partitions, uh, which normally, you know, I don't like doing, but in this case, it just didn't make sense to have a terabyte to back up the mini. So I split it into 500 gigs for time machine and 500 gigs for general data storage. Oh, okay. okay. So I am, I am a one machine to one time machine disc type of guy here. But then I wondered, well, can you do this? And as far as I can tell Dave, and you can verify this. So I went into time machine on one of my machines and I, you know, clicked on time machine and you can say select disc. Yep. And sure enough, all the discs on my network, including the time capsule. So right now I'm on the mini and I click on the disc choices and it shows my two partitions that are on the uh, FireWire 800 drive and it shows time capsule. Right. So I'm going to guess that if I wanted to, I could certainly use the time capsule. You absolutely um, can. I, I have. Excellent. Let, let me see. So I have one, two, three, um, four, five, six, seven machines that back up to our uh, time <laughs> capsule. And, but you know, here's the thing. Uh, it's fine when you start them all. I think we started five of them, you know, all at, 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 at sort of at the beginning when we got the time capsule and that was fine because there was a terabyte of space out on this time capsule and everything worked. All right. Now, of course, adding a new machine to it requires managing some space. Thankfully, for me, I had saved a couple of large backup archives 
also off to the time machine because as we mentioned in a previous show and it's worth re-mentioning the uh the time capsule rather uh can act as simply network storage you don't have to use it as a time machine destination and it doesn't have to solely be a time machine destination however uh as with any time machine destination time machine will fill up all available space eventually now eventually can be very soon if you wind up changing data or adding data a lot to your max, or it could take a while. Uh, and of course it depends on how much space you have available, but it will eventually fill it all up. And by the time I wanted to add the sixth machine to our time uh, capsule, it was basically running full, which means when, and, and this isn't unique to the time capsule, it happens on any time machine uh, destination volume. But when you hit uh, when the drive gets full or almost full time machine is smart enough to not let it go all the way to the end. Uh, it, it starts deleting old versions of the backup, but time machines, not smart enough to look at all the backups on a volume. It only looks at the one for the machine that it's backing up at that moment in time. So right. it, there's, there's no sort of overseer management done by, by the time capsule or time machine. But thankfully, when I wanted to add the sixth one, I deleted a very large archive that I had kind of tossed out there and that made room. And I, I actually wound up doing the same thing with um, when I added the seventh machine. And, and, they, you know, some of these machines don't have very much storage. The three of them are using probably, you know, you know, 50 gigs or less. Um, and, and one of them significantly less than that. But um, but still, you know, the, the drive is constantly running at. Uh, near capacity, you know, maybe 10 gigs, five gigs left on the, uh, on the, okay. on the, on the well, let me, uh, let me get your drive. feedback on this. So, it, so, so wait, let me, add, just to answer Terry's go. question. Yes, you can do it. But if your 15 inch MacBook pros backups have filled up your time, uh, capsule to the point where it is full, then no, you cannot do it because you have to have enough room left on your time capsule to start the first backup, which can be a big one as we discussed recently. So what you may need to do is either one of two things, either wipe out your 15 inch MacBook pros backups and start from scratch with that kind of resetting back to zero and losing all the data that you've, uh, you know, losing the backups of the data that you saved there or go into time machine. And so, and you may not know this, but you can go into time machine in the finder by going into the finder and, uh, and uh, and clicking on time machine in the menu bar is probably the, the best way to get there and say enter time machine. And then you can navigate around and find large files and you can right click on those files and say remove from time machine backups. And that will remove all copies of that. So if you have, let's say, a VMware or parallels, you know, Windows instance that you've saved out there. It, that could be huge. It could be, you know, 10 gigs, maybe even 20 gigs. And you could you remove that from your backups. It won't delete it from your drive. It'll just delete it from the backups. And that might make enough room, depending on where you are again, uh, to get that second machine out there. So you can either go through and, and delete that. But once you've got the second machine out there, then the things will start to manage themselves a little bit because the first backup is done. But uh, but that might be the only issue. But if you've got enough room, uh, then adding it is is inconsequential. You won't even know that, that you're adding it to a drive that has anything else on it. So so that that's that's that part of it. But go ahead, John. We'll, we'll, OK, we'll, we should wrap this up and move on. But go ahead. Right. Yeah. OK. And yeah, to wrap it up. So. Each backup is keyed to, and let me answer this. Each backup. So what I suggested is you may want to just make sure that the name of the machine is different, which, of course, you set in system preferences, I think, sharing. Right. 
is the name of the machine. Now, as far as I can see, and while I know there's some action with UUIDs and all that, but uh, my suggestion was just make sure the machine has a different name because it does key the folders, at least on the machine name. Now, maybe something else. So, but that was the one caution I had. The other advice I had is you may want to try this, although it's technically unsupported. You can hang another hard drive off of your time capsule, or as we found, Dave, Airport Extreme, and it will show up as an available disc for Time Machine. At least last I checked. I mean, that's actually how you know I told you when I set yeah. up my mom's system. That's how she set up. It, it's a old it's an old drive that I had put in a USB enclosure, and that's the drive that it backs up to with Time Machine. And it seems to work fine, though. I understand again, Apple says we don't officially support. And that's hanging off of a Time Capsule. No, no, I'm sorry. It, it's hanging off an Airport, Airport Extreme. Okay, but I yeah, I think the same thing will work with the time capsule, to be honest. Oh, it absolutely I, does. Okay. Yes. okay. Oh, I verified that. If I plugged the USB drive into the time capsule, it would then show up as a drive that could be used for time machine. So, okay. so I guess to, okay. to the to the space issue, you, you could kind that, of do like what I'm doing now. That is supported by Apple then, right? If it's if it's hanging off of a time machine or a time capsule, then well, it would be. I think it's be. supported for AirDisc. I'm not sure. And actually, Adam actually had a question about this. And I think his comment was, again, Apple, I don't think officially supports a air disc as a time machine destination, but air it seems disc, to work. Air disc connected to an airport extreme, but an air oh, disc connected right. to a time capsule, I believe is supported now, oh. that, now that I think back about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, in both cases they work. So, so I think in his case, that, that may be another option to prevent this uh, problem that, he's going to eventually run into where it's going to get full and then it's going to start purging. And I can tell you because I actually wipe mine clean when it starts purging. Yeah. I mean, it takes a real long time to purge in, in order to find enough space. It, well, yes and no. It can, it can, if, if it can, well, You're in my right. case, all of a sudden it said, well, I need 200 gigs and it's not available. And so it started expiring teeny little backups day by day by day. Right. It wasn't smart enough to say, well, I'm, I know that a month's worth of your stuff equals the amount that I need. So I'm going to expire that. No, it went day by day. Right. Or whatever, week by week, you know, whatever right. resolution it had. Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does one at a time. You're that's, that's right. And if that's enough, then it's almost inconsequential. You don't even notice it happening, but, but yeah, otherwise. Yeah. All right. Uh, Karsten writes, how do I convert an MP3 audiobook to an M4B iTunes supported audiobook? I own the Harry Potter CDs and have ripped them all to one single MP3 file on a P and on a PC. I encode them to the audiobook format using free iPodsoftware.com. The software encodes the file and imports to iTunes. But the problem is when synced to my iPhone, it shows up as an audiobook but says 777 minutes and will not play. So my question is, how do I convert the MP3 files to a working audiobook format? Uh, okay, so there, I'm sure there's many ways to do this. The way I have done it in the past is I use iTunes to take the MP3 and convert it to AAC. The reason for this is audiobooks in iTunes are M4B, and M4B means AAC book, essentially. Uh, so you convert it first from MP3 to AAC. Now you, you do this uh, by first going into iTunes preferences and setting your encode format uh, on the general tab, I believe is where it is now to AAC. Once you've done that, then you can simply highlight an MP3 in iTunes and go to the advanced menu, I think, and choose convert to AAC. Once that's done, it gets a little tricky. 
You got to right click on the M4 on, on the AAC file that's been created and choose reveal in finder. Once you're in the finder, you'll see that it's an M4A file. Change the file type to M4B or make a copy and change the copy's name to M4B and then re-import that back into iTunes. I know it's sort of crazy, but when you drag it back in, iTunes will say, oh, it's an M4B file, must be an audiobook, and it processes it up and packages it all the right way, and, uh, and that should work with your iPhone. That's my story anyway. I, I trust you. All right, good. <laughs> Hopefully it works for Karsten, and it, it, the, the trust is, is well-deserved. Okay, uh, Tracy writes and has multiple problems here. We will, uh, we <laughs> will talk Tracy. about, we'll talk about at least the first one and, and probably the second. Well, maybe not probably, probably just the first one. Uh, Tracy says, uh, my friend in Wisconsin needs a computer really bad. So I'm sending her my old iBook G4. I want to do, to do an erase and install, but I can't find the discs. So I went to the genius bar and they said, no, it's too old. We can't do it. So I decided to add a fresh new user with administrative privileges and then sequentially remove the two prior user accounts on the machine, hoping that would free up the disk space for my friend. This seemed to work. However, now that I'm finished, I noticed the name of the hard disk is slash slash. Is that bad? And did I do something idiotic and short sighted? Will it have any meaningful ramifications for my pal who is receiving the machine? She basically just wants it for mail. So here's the thing. Uh, there have been reports of hard drive names causing problems uh, on Macs. In fact, there was uh, John Donahue, one of our sales reps at Backbeat Media, before he was even a sales rep here, he uh, he had called me and he said, Dave, I can't get Snow Leopard to install right on my Mac. And I'm, or I have, actually, he got Snow Leopard to install, but he, he couldn't play Flash videos. That's what it was. It would crash anytime he went to a website. And we tried all kinds of different things. And as it turns out, he brought it into the Genius Bar and they said, oh, it's because you have too many numbers in your hard drive name. And he didn't know he had renamed his hard drive. Mm -hmm. Just like, yeah. And we talked about this on the show. But it, was, it was one of those really weird things. And so they said, just change your hard drive to something, you know, with either less numbers or no numbers and it'll be fine. And they changed it and magically everything worked. Blew me away that this actually solved the problem. But thankfully, the genius that he brought it to knew. Uh, so. There can be weird problems with hard drive names. Now, in your case in particular, Tracy, with your hard drive being named slash slash in Unix, one single slash typically refers to the root volume. Now, when you're in Unix, your hard drive uh, doesn't. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just slash regardless of the name. But if you go into the volumes directory, uh, then it's going to be listed as slash slash inside the volumes directory. And it, while it probably won't cause any trouble, it just doesn't sound like a good idea. The good news is you can rename your hard drive in Mac OS 10, like really, really easily. Um, the, the easiest way is to, well, you can do it in the finder and, just do a highlight the hard drive and, and do a uh, file get info in the in the finder and you can change the name right there. Just uh, go ahead and uh, change it in the name and extension section and and then that's it. You're done. So what happened? You can also do it from the desktop and that's probably how it got changed to slash slash. You, you probably just clicked it ac accidentally and and uh, and changed it. So go back into the finder, change it to something that's more descriptive, even Macintosh hard drive or Macintosh HD, which is the default is fine. Spaces are allowed. Um, 
So, mm-hmm. you know, make it whatever, whatever you like, okay. but, uh, but slash slash just from, from, from my years of Unix experience, it, it, mm-hmm. it feels wrong, even though I know it'll probably be okay. Does that sound good, John? I, th- I think if you had to choose a worse character, mm. that is probably the worst character to choose again, well, because it's a might delimiter. <laughs> yeah. Well, dot. Yes. Which means current directory, I guess, or right. two dots dot, means dot, double. dot would be even worse. Yeah. yeah. That's right. But, um, but slash, yeah, is a delimiter. And I would think that some software may get confused. Although, I, although I think technically it's just as a number is, which I'm surprised, you know, that point you brought up to me about numbers being in the, the name of the drive or yeah. directory. I mean, technically I think it's a valid character, but it'd be safe. I, w- I would say, yeah, rename it to something that is alpha num- uh, No alpha. I'm just going to say alpha here. Yeah. Well, you can definitely have numbers in well, there. I, I think- like numbers. Like I've, I've done that. Yeah. I've called drives, you know, you know, one terabyte monster yeah. or, or something like yeah. that. So, so I'd say as long as you stiff, stick to alphanumerics and spaces, yeah, I think you'll be okay. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I think mo- most operations also use the, well, this is getting kind of geeky, but Hey, no, but, but they, I mean, they, they can tell the difference between drives based on the UUID, I believe it is, you know, buried right. deep in the in the yeah. uh, within the drive there. If, but but still, some some applications may look at the name of the drive, and if they're not expecting a slash or they don't parse the name of the drive correctly, then bad things will happen. Right. So. Right. That's right. Like flash. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. <laughs> Among the other issues yeah. that yeah. it seems to have. Well, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, uh, Antonio, and I think we've got a couple from from Antonio, but we'll do them one at a time here. Uh, and to, well, actually, yeah, we've got a lot from Antonio. He, Antonio writes, I've been running iStat menus for about one month, and I would like to know your recommendations. Does running iStat menus slow down your computer significantly? I'm using the same MacBook Pro pre-unibody 2008 that you guys have with four gigs of RAM. What do you guys do, and do you have it running all the time in the background? Uh, go ahead, John, take, take this one and we'll, we'll kind right. of pace through the rest of these. So my answer is yes. And, but then you may ask, well, how do I know how much, you know, how busy is, is iStat? You know, should I be running it? Is it going to, you know, is it taking a lot of processor? And the answer is no. And the reason, and the way you can find this out, Dave, is yeah. you run activity monitor or, well, or you, use Dave, iStat menus. <laughs> oh, well, duh. Well, yes, but but I I don't believe iStat menus is going to show. It does. It shows itself as long as nothing else. If you have the top five processes uh, you're listed, right. okay, it may show it. But yeah. but to but basically, what I did is I ran Activity Monitor and I see two processes, and I'm going to guess that the one we're really concerned about because it's the only one I see with a CPU percentage figure in Activity Monitor is something called iStat Local Daemon, right. and. I think both you and I, Dave, had the same experience because we have similar machines, but it, when it's running and doing its work and showing you what's happening on your system, it's running at no more than maybe one and a half percent CPU, which to me is a fair price to pay for all of the stuff that it does. That's right. So I would say, yeah, r- run it all the time. It's, yeah. uh, I, I don't see any you, downside if you have a fairly recent Mac. I, I, I think you indicated, Dave, sometimes it, maybe in the past, iStat was a bit busy well that's why I, I used menu meters you know long ago was because iStat took up about three to six percent of my cpu at hmm. the time and menu meters was taking up about half a percent uh i don't think anything has changed other than i'm running a faster mac now uh so hmm. iStat you know it's one and a half percent doesn't cost me as much and i, I frankly don't notice it. it it's not 
you know, it's, it's not anything significant. So yeah. Yeah. And I think you'll, you'll probably find the same thing, Antonio. All right. Uh, number two, I installed uh, around Christmas an OWC Mercury Extreme 250 gig SSD drive. It has considerably increased the speed performance on this computer. However, I occasionally have experienced computer freezes that I need to restart my computer. I installed Snow Leopard twice from the DVD in order to be able to re, uh, start the computer again. I don't have any hardware attached to it, and I'm not watching any DVDs. I've sent along a crash report, uh, and it looks like Safari has crashed. These crashes seem to be more often after the computer goes to sleep on its own. Uh, and, and now we get kind of into a second question here, which we'll answer separately. Now, uh, any problems with having an SSD going into sleep mode? And I did a smart check of the new hard drive. It's okay. I even ran disk warrior on it and it shows. Okay. What is the be best practice for running SSDs? Okay. So separating the second part of that question out uh, here, I'm talking about these crashes looking a little deeper. These crash logs, they can contain a lot of gobbledygook. Uh, and that's my technical term for the gobbledygook that appears. Uh, but if, if you read the beginning of them, maybe the first 10, 15 lines, you can get an idea of what's going on. And as Antonio did, he looked at his crash log and he noticed that the process, the first thing listed was Safari. So, okay, that's, you know, one, one thing looking a little deeper. Uh, this one shows that there is a plugin path and a plugin identifier that identifies a plugin called log me in uh, as being the culprit or, or related to this crash. So perhaps there was some, uh, you know, activity going on. Maybe this plugin was being used to remote control a computer because that's what log me in does. And maybe there was a conflict with it that, that caused this crash. Of course, these crashes that are happening, waking from sleep, that's a little bit different. And no, there's no problems with SSDs and waking from sleep that I know of. And certainly not with the, the OWC drives. Um, so I, I don't think your, your crashes are SSD related instead of looking at, the crash log, take a look at the console log and see if anything appears there. Um, it, if the crashes are sort of random, but still happening, it might be that you have some bad Ram. Um, and that can be tested with the Apple hardware test. There, there are better ways to test it. Um, the, the thing that comes with Applejack, which we'll put a link to is a command line memory tester, but it's way more comprehensive than the one on Apple's DVD. But, uh, but that that that's kind of where I would look. It, it's very hard to say without more information, but random crashes. Yeah. Console log is is kind of the, the first place I would look if uh, if you can get there. So any any thoughts on the crashes before we move on to the, the final question? No, for I'm, this round? I'm with you. Okay. It, it was great that he and I suggested that he may want to send that in to the log me in folks because right. it looks like, well, it, it may not have been the cause. Something else may have caused it to crash, but at least it's a place to start. So at you the very it. least, uh, you know, cause usually these reports don't go to the developer. They go to Apple for them to figure out what's wrong with, with Mac OS 10. Right. But he may want to send this off to log me in. Cause I assume that he has that installed and knows he does. <laughs> um, well, that right. could be the other thing is you, you may have leftovers yep. and, and they're causing an issue, but, but I'm going to assume that he's actively running it. So uh, you may want to send it off to him just as a goodwill gesture and say, hey, guys. And also, I noticed that he's running in 64-bit, and I don't know if that's an issue. Or at least I saw 64 after everything, which, of course, ah. you can run many machines in. I, I actually, on both my machines, run them in 64-bit mode, both okay. my MacBook Pro and the uh, the Mini, um, which 
I don't think it's the default, but I just like doing it because that that's the type of guy I am. Makes you feel better. Actually, we talked about that during the, I think the pre-show or the post-show uh, from the show on Monday. And since then, I've been running my MacBook Pro in uh, in 64-bit mode. I couldn't get the iMac at the house to boot into 64-bit mode. Uh, so... <sighs> It might not be one of the supported ones. I haven't messed with it a whole lot, but but I did it. And there's a there's an Apple knowledge base article. I I did it using a command line uh, uh, incantation. It's just one little oh, no, phrase no, no, that you no. you type no, in. A, well, there, there's a utility that does it for you. Yes, you can do the hand wave. Yeah, but there's a utility that that basically does the mucking about that you're doing manually. So it's just it edits the boot.plist file or whatever it is. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. But but to me, there's there's no downside to running in 64 bit kernel mode. Unless you have hardware mm-hmm. uh, or software that doesn't have 64-bit support, which it, here and there, it doesn't exist. Right. I right. won't go into more detail because I'm working out with the people that make the software that doesn't work in 64-bit to see if they're going to update it. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, no, there's, there's stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I believe Lion, if I understand the reports correctly, uh, only runs 64-bit mode, correct? Or am I mis- am I mistaken on that? Um, uh, based on the reports that I've read, if you want to install the developer preview, you, yep. uh, I believe one of the requirements is a Mac that supports 64-bit. Okay, okay. Which I believe the older Macs, like the Core Duo, right. is only 32-bit. So I think if you have a Core Duo machine, Got it. you're out of luck. If you have a Core 2 Duo, then you should be okay. Well, I thought there were some Core 2 Duo or maybe, maybe there that, are some that, that well, support 64-bit apps but won't boot 64-bit. There's something about that, man. Well, I think the thing is, Dave, is that the, uh, as far as I know, the Core 2 Duo will... The thing is, some machines the EFI will not support, support it, it unless you give them a nudge. I think okay. you got to give some machines like ours a nudge. Like normally our machines, they've booted into the 32-bit kernel. Yeah, I think there's more and to it than that. And even the mini I have. I think okay. there's more to right. it than that. There could be. We'll, yeah. we'll read up on it. I think there's some iMacs that, that just won't boot 64, even though they'll run 64-bit code in the apps. I'll have to, I got I to gotta research more. I'm fearing I might want have one or more of those iMacs here. So, Okay. All right, lastly, so the other question. Yeah, with his yeah. SSD, what's the, uh, he asked, what's the, the, the best thing to do with it? My, my advice, not very much at all. You, you need to remember most hard drive utilities are built for mechanical drives that, uh, you know, that need to have blocks checked and uh, potentially things defragmented or optimized. All of those activities are terrible for an SSD. Nothing could be worse for them. However, they still have file systems or table of contents, right? And we've talked about this a couple of times, but when you save a file to your hard drive, it saves it out wherever it saves it on the drive. And then it saves a little pointer in the table of contents that says, hey, this file exists and it's out there at this location. Well, that table of contents can get corrupted and it can get right. corrupted on an SSD just like on any other hard drive. So running disk utilities repair disk, it's not really repairing the disk. It's repairing the table of contents for the disk or even disk warrior, which rebuilds the table of contents for the disk. That's okay on an SSD. You don't want to, you don't want to obsess about it, but it is good, especially disk utility to run at least verify disk, you know, once every couple of months to make sure it's not out of whack. And if it is repair it or use something like disk warrior to rebuild it. Yeah, that was my suggestion. Actually, I verified this with uh, the 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 other day. I was running Drive Genius, and I, I tried to defrag an SSD, and it said 
you know, I'll, if you really want to, I'll let you, but you really don't need to. It's kind of dumb. So how it did it prevent- know you had an SSD? Because if you go into system profiler, Dave, yeah, and you look at a drive, there is now a field, which I don't know when they introduced this, uh-huh. that indicates the type of drive. And it can either be yeah. rotational or solid state. Right. But most SSD drives do not report that correctly when they're installed after market. Well, well all I know is on my machine, Dave, on my MacBook Pro, yep. when I was testing out the Samsung SSD, did it System re- Profiler said solid state. It did. Okay. Very yes, interesting. My Runcore drive reports rotational. Really? Yes. Okay. So I'm suspecting maybe... That's a firmware thing in the drive. Yeah. yeah. So they have something in the drive that he didn't... Uh, so I think by default, it'll assume rotational. Right. Yeah, if the bit's not set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Now, as far as practice... I want to toss it. I don't want to get too, too into uh, I just want to point out something that I noticed about the OWC that, that I think is a unique feature of it. So the only okay. thing I mentioned was the only thing you may notice is that over time, the drive may slow down because with many SSDs, the way the technology works right now is that writing to a fresh memory cell that has never been written to before is very fast. But the problem is the way it, the, the drive, the OS and the drive manage writing to a cell that has been marked as available, but still has data in it, slows the drives down in general. Now, OWC, so, so I, gave, I, I offered this advice to Antonio, and then I looked at OWC, and OWC actually says, well, no, 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 we don't suffer from this problem. We're doing something, and, and right. the gist of it is that if memory cells are clean, Dave, then when an SSD tries to write to it, it doesn't have to do this read, erase, write cycle, which is what slows down some SSDs, over time because they're not really in sync with the operating system. Now you can address it in two ways. One, and it seems OWC and others have figured this out is the firmware in the background kind of cleans things up. So the next time the drive comes to it, it says, Oh, fresh memory. Great. I'm going to write and not do this hokey pokey. Right. The other thing is that there's this thing called a trim command, which is not supported in the current version of OS 10, but reports that I've read say that lion will support that. So based on what I've seen, he doesn't have to do anything special with this drive in order to, Keep it running at, at top speed. Good. Good. All right. Cool. Moving on to Brian. Uh, he says, my coworker has an issue of the thumbnails not matching the pictures on his iPhone or vice versa. The background is everything was fine until he tried to upgrade some uh, upgrade to iOS 4.2 recently. Unfortunately, he has a Windows machine. During the upgrade, issues arose. <laughs> he managed through the problems and after several attempts, got 4.3 on his 3GS. Uh, I'm assuming he means 4.2, right? Isn't that what we're on now? I, I'm pretty sure we're far on, as on I recall, 4.2. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think that's what he meant. Uh, when his phone recovered, he had his contacts and text chats, but lost all his pictures, apps, and music. He went on with life and revisited iTunes and synced his phone. Problem, now when he opens up the pictures app and the camera roll, all looks normal with a screen of thumbnails. However, choosing a thumbnail doesn't necessarily produce a full screen of the picture chosen. The same thumbnail will yield the same photo every time, but not every thumbnail produces a picture that was expected. Uh, He has tried restoring his phone to factory defaults and resyncing, but the results are the same. What happened and how does he fix this? It appears random which thumbnails will produce the wrong picture. Some are old archive photos. Some are new pictures just taken. Have you ever seen such a thing? One more thing. Opening a picture show 
uh, opening a picture shows, say, picture 180 of 340 per usual. The funny thing is he only has 120 pictures on his phone now. Mm. All right, John, you are a iPhoto resident iPhoto guy. So uh, go. Oh, not anymore. iPhoto? No, I, no, know. No. I know. No, you mean iPhone. Well, okay. Oh, wait, did he say iPhoto? I don't think he mentioned iPhoto here specifically. You said iPhoto. I did say iPhoto. He's, I, mean, I assume he's syncing pictures from iPhoto to his iPhone. Oh, well, no, no, no. Well, number one, well, let me, let me help. Let, let me help clear things up. For okay. You, my friend. <laughs> so one, he's saying syncing. Okay. Right. If I read this right. Right. And, and actually this brings up an interesting question, which I think we've addressed in other, mm-hmm. uh, but, but anyways, you have two things that, yes, we, uh, I don't think we covered it in the last podcast. Though it was another question. So, yep. so again, now that I have the iPhone, I can address these. There are two different things that you can do with your iPhone regarding photos when it interacts with your Mac. One is you can import. You can treat it like a camera. That's right. Right. And that's exactly what happens. So if you take pictures with your iPhone and you plug it into your Mac by default, I think what it's going to do, and you can change this, but it's going to launch a photo app, whether it be iPhoto, Aperture, or Image Capture, I think is the default. Right. Because it sees it as a camera. Right. So that's one mode here. And that, that's why I just wanted to clarify here. That's not what we're talking about here. Right. The other thing that you can do with your iPhone is you can synchronize photos from your Mac or PC to the phone itself. And that's where I think the problem is here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay. Now, here's the thing. And I actually did this just for kicks, though it turns out, like a lot of other things we talk about, the way that iTunes were... And one thing is going to be a, a not a fish shake, but a finger wag at Apple is, why are you doing photo syncing in iTunes? Huh? What the, it just doesn't make sense to me, but well, that's, they do contact syncing, calendar syncing, exactly, and mail yes. syncing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it is the, the software that manages the syncing right. aspect of your, yes. your iPhone or iDevice. Right. Yeah. So to me, it's weird that it's in iTunes, but it's in iTunes. And so iTunes, one of the options is when you plug in your iDevice is a tab is going to appear when you click on the device that says photos. And if you click on that, you're going to see a checkbox saying sync photos with, now, depending on what, if you're on the Mac side, it's going to say iPhoto and Aperture because it knows about those apps. If you're on the Windows side, I think it just is going to give you options of your pictures folder, uh, similar to the Mac right. or another folder. Right. Um, but in both cases, what happens, and this is why I think it was just a general suggestion. So I tried it on the Windows side at first, and then I looked on the Mac side, and the same thing happened. The first time you do this, what happens is that iTunes builds a folder within the folder that you indicate, at least if you point to a folder full of pictures, okay, it builds a little folder called, oddly enough, iPod photo cache. Even if you're running an iPhone, it's still called iPod photo cache. And what's yep. in that folder? Well, I looked and there's a big old file called photo database. And then what happens is there is a whole bunch of oddly named folders. And within those, Dave, I noticed there were files that were blah, 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 dot I-T-H-M-B. Hmm, ah. What could, what could that be? Yeah. Oh, okay. you know, I think that's a thumbnail. So here's my suspicion is what happened at one point in time, whatever's in that folder, which as far as I can tell, it doesn't, it, it's a cache. It doesn't impact anything. And it wasn't there before I synced the photos on, on either side. I, I tried it both on the Mac and on the PC. So what I'm going to suggest is that whatever is in that iPod photo cache folder is, to be technical, all screwed up. That's right. 
We call um, it foobar here. It's foobard. That's right. <laughs> so the only thing I can imagine is that the thumbnails and the photo database within that folder are just foobard. And your best course of action is to get rid of that folder and let iTunes start from scratch. And I think everything everything's going to be cool. As far as I know, this is a one-way operation in that it's not going to impact whatever's on the phone itself. Uh, right. Unless I'm missing something. I mean, I just started looking at this. No, but that sounds right. The sync, feature, the sync feature, from what I can see in iTunes, is strictly to take things that are on your computer and stuff them into the iPhone. Right. Um, and as we pointed out earlier, the opposite direction is a distinct part of the phone itself and that it's, it's not... So I don't think deleting that folder is going to destroy anything important. That, yeah. you know, well, you could, you could move it out of the way as opposed to deleting right. it. Um, now, what I just to just to get a process down, I would say disconnect your iPhone from your computer, quit mm. iTunes, then go and right. uh, either delete or move this iPod photo cache folder, then start up iTunes, reconnect your phone and do the sync. It may take a lot longer. The, the reason for this is uh, it's twofold. One, to create these thumbnails. It, it creates them in iTunes and then syncs them off to the device. Mm. But number two, you can, I believe, and it depends on the device, but you can have it sync lower resolution versions of your pictures uh, if you want. And again, it depends on what, what device you're syncing to and where you're getting the pictures from. But, uh, but that cache will also store those lower resolution versions so that the next time you sync, you don't have to wait for your computer to create these. It just syncs the ones that it's already created. However, when that cache gets corrupted, as John pointed out, you got to rebuild it. And so that might take some time, but, but yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think that should solve the problem. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Uh, you, you know, you, when I said iPhoto, of course he's probably not using iPhoto cause he's on windows. But um, but we had a we had an iPhoto uh, or an Aperture question recently, and I know you've moved to Aperture recently, as have as have many people. In fact, I think the the App Store pricing, simply the inclusion of oh. Aperture in the App Store, uh, yes. but 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 it's pricing there at seventy nine bucks has really opened up Aperture to a lot of people. And it was interesting. We got a comment and uh, from from Scott here that that. That really kind of it, it made me stop and think. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna parse through the comment here, and and he says um, Scott says I I believe the reason that Aperture doesn't have a built-in auto import feature and was talking about an answer to Rick's question how he wanted to auto import into Aperture, uh, but he says I believe the reason that Aperture doesn't have a built-in auto import feature is because the target audience would not use it and it may even be harmful and okay maybe harmful is too strong a word. Uh, as a photographer who uses Aperture as my main repository of images, I would hate it if Aperture tried to auto import anything. I have a library for personal stuff, a library for stock images I may be able to sell, a library for contracted work, etc. I understand John is using it in a different way and may not have seen it this way. I have an extensive array of folders, project albums in each library, and there would be no way for Aperture to know where my images need to be stored. And if such a feature existed and got turned off by accident, or got turned on by accident, I would scream. So, so this is interesting because Aperture, certainly when it came out, really was targeted at and probably used only by or mostly by pro professional photographers, right? People that were doing this for a living with their, you know, with with their 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 work and and doing things exactly um, likely exactly as Scott describes. However. There's a new breed of Aperture users, right? And, and there's, 
this has been created by for two reasons. One is what I mentioned before, the pricing of Aperture and uh, and the, its availability in the App Store. But even more than that, uh, or before that, was the fact that iPhoto kind of starts to bog down when you have a lot of pictures in there. And and so oh yeah, and so Aperture has kind of become the de facto I need iPhoto Pro. And and there are many, many home users or prosumer users or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, the DSLR revolution, the fact that we all own these things now it for, you know, in our homes, which is crazy to own a digital SLR. Or at least if you go back five years, it sounds crazy to own one. But now you know we all own them and and the pictures are bigger and you might want to do more with them and you can take them in raw format and all that stuff. So it's created, you know, it's almost there's there's two probably two very distinct classes of aperture users now. And it's why we've started talking about it more in this show is not so much the pro side, but the prosumer side. But but Scott illustrates very, very clearly illustrates sort of a, a, a divide there that, yeah, there's there's this one app that two very different classes of people are using uh, one is just, you know, iPhoto Pro. And my guess is that that you're in the iPhoto Pro camp, right, John? That it's just you want no. more, but you don't need, you know, no. you're not you're not selling pictures and that sort of thing. So I am in the camp and I'm going to be careful here. I'm in the camp of people who expect it, especially using an iFi card. Yep. Which the iFi card, which is used by both amateurs and professionals, by default, had a feature where you could take, uh, which for people that don't know, the iFi is a Wi-Fi card that you put in your camera. And as soon as you take the picture, it tosses it either online with a photo sharing sure. site or it puts it in a folder on your Mac. Right. And the way it worked with iPhoto, because iPhoto supports an auto import it, and, and their software supported this. They're like, well, what do you want to do with your photos, John or whoever? Do you want to put them in a folder or do you want them imported into iPhoto as soon as you start it up? Right. And I was like, well, yeah, because that, that was the, the workflow that they got me used to. Right. Once I got Aperture, I was like, where did this go? And right. then I started combing through the iFi forms and the Aperture forms. And sure enough, either for people who are pro photographers or people coming from iPhoto and, and actually this failed for me, but they, they actually on the aperture site, they have a script called aperture hot folder 1.5. And what does it do? It does exactly what this missing functionality right. does. It's a little automator script that says, Hey, if I see photos in this folder, I'm going to push them into aperture immediately. And some people need this. Some people don't. Right now. And, but you're, you make a valid point. One audience is iPhoto people who all of a sudden said, or iFi people that said, what? What happened? I thought right. this was a professional package. Well, it doesn't do what it, Aperture doesn't do what iPhoto does. And the thing is, I think they're, they're but they're careful. And I, I totally understand the point that, yeah, in certain workflows, because Aperture is so powerful as far as projects and albums and stuff like that right. is, yeah, some people certainly don't want things to happen automatically because it could, it could, it could destroy a carefully thought out and structured workflow. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, iPhoto certainly supports multiple libraries, but you got to know the secret handshake to get right. it to do it, which of course is holding down the option key when booting uh, aperture right out of the gate. You know, you can have multiple libraries and all that. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Apple does with this because there, I, I think more and more people are going to wind up using aperture and, and at 79 bucks, uh, you know, if, if you have, 
if, if you're totally happy with iPhoto, I don't recommend switching. But if there's anything about iPhoto that makes you feel like, you know, gosh, I wish I wasn't living in this side, this tiny cardboard box. I want to go outside a little bit. Oh. Then then Aperture's it. And it's a, it's it's relatively short money. It's 80 bucks. So, yeah. yeah. What swayed me, Dave, was number one, and then we'll move on. But I, I just want to, what swayed me was the number of adjustments that you can make to a photograph. Right. Are way increased than as I'm, you know, evolving as a photographer, though, albeit an amateur, it was just, wow, I can do so much more with my photos. And number two, efficiency, it gives you much more flexibility in how to sort your photos versus iPhoto. So that's where I'm coming from. And the the thing that I got to say, as we pointed out in the last podcast is thank goodness that automator or aperture exposes what it can do to automator right. because that gave me the, the total flexibility to, uh, to do exactly what I wanted because actually I found that this, uh, plugin that I, I stumbled across called aperture hot folder didn't work. And I, I think because I, I think it was developed for an earlier version. So, so it didn't always grab my photos when I wanted it to, but so we unintentionally probably just sold another couple hundred copies of Aperture here, but the but that's well, okay. Apple Apple's gonna it's good write us a check, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah, right. Well, do they do an affiliate program for App Store? They really should. Don't they you do. think, Dave? Yeah, they do. Actually, oh, they do. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we can we can build an affiliate link for that. Sure, we'll put an affiliate link in the show notes. That's fine. But you don't have Sweet. to. You know, it's fine. We we you, you folks support us. It's fine. If you want to support us via the affiliate link, that's fine too. Or support uh, Apple. Which as a stockholder, I fully support. There you go. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. But, uh, but no, you know, and, and Thanks, so Scott. my, no, my it's guess is a great point. My guess is we will be getting more and more aperture questions. And thankfully we have uh, a, a, uh, a user in our, in our midst here with you, John. So that's good. Well, don't I, you, does Lisa, Lisa does. I don't, I, I, I'm not okay. even an iPhoto guy. I, I have like one tiny iPhoto library that I deal with my pictures from the iPhone. I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm more of a, I, I prefer to experience things as opposed to documenting them, which is weird given the business that I'm in, right? You know, having started Mac Observer with Brian and stuff. But remember, I was never, never the content guy. I, I, I you know, I like the back end stuff and the servers mm-hmm, and running mm-hmm. the business and all that. But yeah, when it when it comes to to things like that, I, I'd much rather experience it and then perhaps report on my experiences later as I remember them. But but documenting something throughout. I miss out on you, 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 everyone, if you're taking pictures or otherwise documenting as something is happening, your, your, your experience of what happened is different. I'm not going to say you're missing out. That's the, you're, it's just different, right? You know, because you're, you're busy logging it in some way, shape or form, as opposed to simply experiencing it. So that's, uh, that, that, that's just me. Oh, I'm not, and I'm not, yeah. I don't say that in a judging way. I just say that, that that's no, and I, I don't am. either. I mean, Dave, you can either rely on your faulty memories of, of your experience, or you can have, you know, some nice concrete proof. I don't need proof. <laughs> I was there. It's my memories. I, you are, know, I, are you sure? How do you know? I, I, I got a pretty darn good memory and, and, and I like its faults. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, 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 it works very well. Well, well filters I'm with you out because, the crap. Well, because your brain does a great job of kind of smoothing them over to make them. You got it. Where, where, where photography, you got the harsh reality of. That's right. What happened. And, and that's sometimes right. that's unpleasant. And that, that's why, that's why I'm a terrible <laughs> blogger. Right. Because I just, I, I don't, I, I like talking. Right. But this is a different sort of experience. So it's a, it, you know, well, I don't either works. blogging. I think you and I both. Uh, the, yeah. I, yeah. I'm not a blogger. If anything, yeah, you I'm write a, far more than me. You write reviews on TMO. You write the Mac gadgets. Well, I don't see that as blogging. No, it, but, if but anything, it's writing. Yeah. 
Yeah, true. If anything, I I share what I see in the world through either Twitter or through my, you know, uh, uh, photo galleries. Yeah. That's how I like to share information. Yeah. I don't like writing my experiences. Now for a product review, yes, of course, you know, either a gadget or, uh, or even, you know, the show notes here. Yep. But yeah, blogging my life. I, I, I can't see that. I, I don't, I don't see documenting my life in text in pictures, perhaps. Yeah. See, that's, that's okay. Your thing. Now let's, uh, Oh gosh, that was philosophical. Wasn't that's it? good. That's good. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, Mark writes, I've been wondering for a number of years how I could take full advantage of what I refer to as a category of cruft organizers. What I mean is applications like Yojimbo, DevonThink, Evernote, and others of the Mac software available. Since Dave spoke again about Yojimbo in one of the recent episodes, I thought I'd finally sit down and hammer out this question regarding workflow using one of these tools. I have all three of the above mentioned applications and have yet to use them for more than a few weeks. The question I have is what is the best way to use these? Should I dump everything into one folder with no organization whatsoever, add tagging to increase the searchability or another yet undiscovered method? I crave the seemingly perfect solution that other users of Yojimbo, Evernote, or Devon things seem to have everything available at the press of a spotlight search. Please help. Okay. So yeah, this is interesting. I have all these things as well. The old, the one that I use is the one that I first committed to. And, and that's Yojimbo, but you know, there's part, there's a part of me that really wants to move to Evernote because, uh, uh, it's available easily in the cloud. Uh, I can access it, you know, I can add things and read things and modify things from my iPhone or my iPad. And I can't do that with Yojimbo. I can get Yojimbo on my iPad, but that's as far as it goes. I can read what I've put in on my Macs. So in that sense, Yojimbo is kind of, uh, uh, you know, holding me back, but it's where I put all my data at first. I really like how simple its workflow is and how it doesn't try to get in my way. In fact, I don't even use the tags that I could use with Yojimbo uh, because, you know, well, two reasons. One, I haven't had a need. And number two, they weren't there when I started using it. So when they finally came around, I would have had to go back and retag, you know, years worth of data that, that sits out there. So, uh, my advice for getting into one of these is yes, dump everything in and commit because once you start using it, you'll find the features that you want to use uh, and, and ignore the rest. You know, don't feel like you have to use every nook and cranny of the, uh, of the software. Just go ahead and use it and, you know, dump everything in. And if once you find you want to categorize things, categorize, if you want to tag instead tag, you know, and, and go from there. For me, most of the time in Yojimbo, I'm looking at my entire library and just using the search functionality. I'm usually searching titles of the items in there because that's what works for me. I know what they're named. In fact, I have some things where I have ridiculous names. Uh, you know, I have my credit cards in there in a secure note. So it's all encrypted and all that stuff. But uh, but I, I named it something ridiculous so that I, or I put something ridiculous right in the name of, you know, the, 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 the item so that I could easily search for it. And I would never find anything else in there with that same name in the, uh, in the beginning. And it really, really works. So, but you know, I can't imagine bare bones would come out and tell you, do this with your credit cards, you know, name it uh, Rumpelstiltskin so that you can always find it. Right. I mean, that's not what they're going to say, but that's what works for me. I, I'm just using the framework of the application to store my stuff in there. And, and I think that's what you got to do is you just got to dump in 
and commit whatever method you're using previously. For me, it was just a, a folder of text files. I've talked about it before. Uh, just, you know, dump them all in and whatever, however you've got it and just go. And I think you will, you will like it, but, but check them out and, and test, you know, which one's going to work for you. You might find that Devin think has something, you know, just use the little the sample stuff that's in there and see, oh yeah, I could see myself using this, but, but yeah, Evernote kind of seems to me to be, to be the one, but you know, it's that freemium model. So you wind up putting more data in than you, than you get for free and you're, you're going to be paying for it for long-term as opposed to just the one shot deal with with something like your Jimbo or Devin think, but, but maybe that, you know, maybe that's worthwhile to you. So, so that's my thought on cruft organizers. I don't think you use one, John, right? My life's a mess, <laughs> but you're having a good time, right? Well, you know, I got to say my cruft organizers, I, I have a very simple system. So a lot of things I organize in mail. Okay. I'm yeah. going to tell you, my system is simple. So a lot of things I organize in mail. So I have a very, a pretty detailed folder structure within mail.app. Okay. To organize things, whether they be Mac Observer or professional or personal. So, so that's one thing. And, and the search capability in mail is pretty good. The other is that in my documents folder, I also, so, so my, my system is very old school. If yep. you consider the desktop paradigm old school in that it's basically folders that in my mind, I categorize into things that make sense and then put my contents in there. So I would say between those two and the search capabilities of either mail.app or spotlight, help me find what I'm looking for. Yeah. So I haven't yet, again, I move slow, Dave, you know this, I, I have not yet dove into or made a decision. I, I've looked at them on occasion, looked at any one application to help me organize all these things. And I use, actually, the other thing I use is kind of a cheat thing is Sticky's app. Oh, yeah, you're app not alone. A lot of people do. Yeah, no, and I have one sticky that has, you know, my, you know, bill reminders. And no, I know I could do it another way. And another that, so every now and then, if I have an important event in my life, like, you know, planning Macworld, I'll have a sticky for planning my Macworld trip. And I'll, right. you know, have different flights and then I'll have the hotel info and, you, you, you know, know things like that. That's not at all that different from what I use Yojimbo for. Great. You know, I'll, I create. You know, like for Cirque de Mac, right? I mean, I could build a big Gantt schedule thing yeah. to organize all of it. But you know what? I store it all in one text note in Yojimbo. Sure. And that works for me. Some people might be hearing this and saying, but Dave, you could. I know I could, but this works. So why? You know, and it's it's not cumbersome. It's all right there. And I, it's good. You know, works. So, yeah. It's, and they're don't. also searchable. Sticky, yes. Stickies are searchable. Yeah. And you can not as sophisticated, yep. uh, you know, but, and, you know, sometimes I'll have a different color. So, you know, if this one's, you know, a certain, you know, classification, I'll color it that way. And, oh, do I hear the band? You do. Are we you already there? Talking. Oh okay. my goodness. <laughs> the band is coming in slowly today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's, it's kind of chilly out. Yeah. Nine degrees this morning. And I woke up For late. you. I was up at like Well, eight. you're in the great white north there. Well, no, not really. <laughs> Take off, well, eh? relative to me. <laughs> Beer hunter, eh? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, for those of you who don't recognize that, Bob and Doug McKenzie, I guess, from uh, Second City Television, was it? That's right. Yeah, well, that's where they started. And then and then they had right. their own uh, They had their own movie. And uh, yeah, I, I watched that. Strange Brew. That was a fantastic movie. If you like, you know, ridiculous movies like that. It was fantastic. Or Canadians. Because they're just funny to begin with, right? As we get all our Canadian yeah, subscribers. See, that's that's a funny comment because it's xenophobic, right? <laughs> Wait, no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so oh, Canada. No, I, I love Canada. Sure, why not? 
They're our neighbors to the north. And they're well, very well behaved, unlike the United States, I can mm-hmm. say sometimes. We, we just... Uh, all right, enough. Feedback, no. Premium at MacGeekGab.com is the email address to use to send us comments, questions, tips, pictures, audio, whatever you like. Dave, I'm going to correct you because I do believe it's premium at MacGeekGab.com. I said premium at MacGeekGab.com, and by golly, I meant it. Uh, 206-666-GEEK is the number, and geek is... 4335. But also um, Skype, which, yes. which for us now... I don't know. Some people are shaking their fist over Skype 5, but it seems to be working okay for us, Dave. I'm I one of the them. Audio... And, and, you know, I have to say, since you and I switched to using Skype 5 for the podcast here, which was only recently, yeah. we have gone. We have not had a single audio hiccup. So it, it's interesting, but I think Skype 2.8 was part of our issue Ooh. there. And, and perhaps, I don't know, things certainly got better when we moved FireWire to USB. No question about it. But some of those little hiccups still existed. Uh, I I, I I still think though the uh, the Skype Five UI is a big bag of hurt, mm-hmm. as others have said. It's like you didn't need to fix it. It was I was okay with the old UI. Now it's all kind of shiny. No, and they rounded they want to have the same experience whether you're on Windows, Mac, iPhone, iPad. It's like I, if I'm on the my same iPad, horrible experience. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I told somebody at Skype that this morning actually was saying if I'm on my Mac, I want a different experience than I want on Windows, and frankly, a different experience. Than I expect on, on my iPad or whatever. I mean, it's all it's a different OS, and Skype doesn't fit any of them now. So it's beautiful, excellent job, really well done. <laughs> oh, look, they're being consistent. Good on you. Yeah, consistently good and terrible is what it is. <laughs> all right, is that it? That's uh, it. We, no, it's not it. We want to no. thank. We want to thank two people. Oh, well, of course. Well, two entities. One is a person, Michael Johnston. Thanks, man. You convert this to AAC every week, and we. We love you for it. Michael does the We Have Communicators podcast every week as well. Uh, and I encourage you to go give that a listen. It's a great show about all things kind of uh, iPhone, iPad, etc. And then the other entity is, of course, Cashfly. And there are uh, many great people there. And we would like to thank them for all the bandwidth. So uh, thanks a lot, folks. And we will be back next week with, uh, with the next round of, of Ye old Geek Gab. Ye you know old. what? Coming up on six years of what? Oh, of doing this. Wow, I know. If I'd known, I would have baked us a cake. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know. <laughs>